Well, we welcome you to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I am Scott Hogan, and joining me is Brad Howyer. And Brad, you and I decided we'll get the uh, two topics of discussion that we're, we're not real happy about the results of from this weekend. We're going to do those up front and then move on to some things we're more excited about. So, of course, for Chiefs fans, that means Super Bowl 54 uh, yesterday not going the way that the Chief fans wanted to. 31 to 9 was the final. And hell, Brad, I, I didn't ever say it out loud. I didn't make any predictions this year. I, I just didn't have the same feeling this year as I did last year, as far as the optimistic side of me about the Chiefs going in and winning this game. You know, going into the game, we knew about all the injuries. They were going to miss both their right and left tackles with Eric Fisher getting injured in the the Buffalo game, we knew about Mahomes' toe injury, which I think is a little worse than they ever let on. He's going to have to have surgery on it. Um, and then everything that started happening this week to the Chiefs, starting with the, the whole COVID with their barber incident, putting people in COVID protocols. Then you have the uh, Andy Reid's son, Britt Reid, involved in this um, – accident that sent a, a young child with life-threatening injuries to the hospital. Um, just when those things started happening, I wasn't as confident and boy, things just unfolded really poorly for the chiefs. Yeah. I, it, it was really, I don't know, almost a too perfect of a storm for the, for the, uh, the bucks. I mean, not only get to play at home, the chiefs didn't even travel till Saturday and then, the injuries, the offensive line, and, and Mahomes wasn't 100%. And even when he did throw well, it seemed like it was dropped more often than not and just a horrible tragedy involving the little girl in Kansas City. I mean, I I don't know. My brother was wondering if that had anything to do with it. I can't say for sure. I mean, there's no way to know for sure, at least right now. I mean, Andy Reid made it seem like that it wasn't. But I do recall that in 2003 when the Jayhawks made it to the national championship game, that they played Syracuse, and that was at the time when Roy Williams was being courted by North Carolina again. And that was one of the few times I felt like that maybe something mentally was off with one of my teams from the perspective of, I think the Jayhawks were like 12 of 31 from the free throw line that night, and they lose by three. I mean, they go 50%, and they win the game. So it was just, a, I don't know, just a perfect storm, I guess, is the best way to put it. And Boy, the Bucks played their best game. The Chiefs played their worst game, and you know you hate seeing that in the Super Bowl. It was it was a, it was a dud of a game. Uh, I just hope that you know the Chiefs recognize their shortcomings in that game, and you know I'm, I, they're set up to be pretty good for quite a while. And I have no doubt that they'll be able to bounce back. Two Super Bowls in two years—you can't be too too disappointed with that. I guess if you are disappointed with something, it was just the fact that they just laid an absolute egg yesterday. Yeah. It- it was it was disappointing. Uh, you got to be impressed with the Bucks defense, but I think you had found the stat. I saw it, and I've heard it from other people since you put it on uh, Facebook. That kind of sums up um, how badly they missed Eric Fisher and uh, Mitchell Schwartz. Four hundred and ninety-seven yards that Mahomes ran total before he threw his pass attempts in this game. That's nearly five hundred yards. I mean. You look at the way the Bucks they were going to play those two deep safeties and double hill. If if you you can't you got to feel like as a Chiefs fan, you have your tackles, you give Mahomes time, that underneath stuff is going to be open. 
because they can't cover Kelsey all night. They can't cover the other receivers like that if they're going to play those safeties so deep that Mahomes could have had some good success. But the fact was he, he did not have the time to let those routes develop when he had to run that much already on a bum toe. And I mean, that just, that kind of sealed the deal early on when he just had to start taking off and trying to spin around and see if somebody could get open. I think the one thing that I will take from, from the chiefs perspective of something positive was we've already known that Patrick Mahomes is uh, pretty close to superhuman. The, the, the raw talent that this guy has, I, I mean, to see it this like, like this for three years now, I mean, seriously, I, some of the, some of the plays he made yesterday, I mean, he had that one scramble should have been a touchdown pass to Tyree kill. Then he had the one in the back of the end zone to Byron Pringle. It, it, it wasn't ball. It should have been caught, but the fact that it was almost caught by Pringle was impressive enough, not just the catch, but the throw. And then this, that throw, I think it was a, to Darrell or to Darrell Williams that hit off his face mask when Mahomes is falling down and throwing the ball like Derek Jeter. 30 yards of the end zone. I mean, there's not I, – I don't know. I just don't see another human being ever who can make a play like that. I mean, it was just insane. I mean, if, if even if that last touchdown pass is caught by Williams and the, and she still lose, you know, comfortably, but that's pretty much all anybody's really talking about other than Tom Brady winning the seventh. I mean, that's, that's – it was just incredible watching Mahomes gut through that. And, yes, he wasn't at his best, but some of the plays he was still making were just close to superhuman. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, he he does things that are are completely unreal when you watch him. And then, you know, the other thing is, well, he did have some drops. Even he he put that ball a couple of times falling down sidearm across his body where, you know, you got to make some of those plays and the and unfortunately the, the Chiefs didn't uh, yesterday. And then I know one thing and and you hate to talk about this and before before I do, I guarantee you this did not determine the outcome of the game, but boy, Brad, the officiating was awful. I don't have any better word than awful in that first half of the game. Um, these defensive holdings and pass interferences, none of this was called the entire playoffs. And I question whether some of those that I watched would have even been penalties in the regular season. And they were just brutal on the Chiefs it, it took uh it took an interception away it extended one or two drives giving them first downs the the pass interference that set up the Bucks final touchdown before the half I thought it was pass interference until I saw the replay I don't even think Breland touched the receiver and he falls down they get that call they get another pass interference call in the end zone that puts it at the one I mean it was just when announcers at halftime more than one of them are bringing up the officiating. That's when you know it was an issue. Eight to one in the first half. It it didn't decide the outcome, but boy, it sure put the Chiefs in a hole that they were never going to get out of. Yeah, it's uh, I Scott and I or Scott and I, geez, Scott, you and I agree that that the officiating had nothing to do with the fact that Tampa was the better team in this game, but. The fact also remains that some of those penalties, and, and here's what's in, indicative to me that it's not all sour grapes. There was a lot of national media that was scolding the officials. There were Bronco fans, Bronco fans yeah. who were uh, aghast over it. I mean, look, if that's the Broncos, I, I'm, I'm laughing probably, but it's pretty indicative that if Denver fans are kind of feeling bad about it, 
then maybe there's something there. I don't know. But the fact that many national media pundits, and on top of that, there's a lot of NFL players that had no connection to the Chiefs or uh, the Bucks or the Patriots or anything like that, who are just kind of saying, yep, of course, this is the stuff that happens to Tom Brady. So I don't know. I mean, the I thought the, the penalty on the interception was, I think it was an offside penalty that was borderline maybe and those holdings. I mean, is it to the letter of the law a penalty what the Chiefs are doing? I guess so. But, you know, it's those hand-checking 50 feet from the basket, and you don't call that every time, especially in Game 7 of the NBA Finals. I don't know. It was just disappointing to see some of those calls because those are calls you might make in the preseason or maybe go up to them after, you know, after it happens and say, hey, next time I'm calling that, knock it off. Well, and then you look at how some of the Chiefs receivers were getting mugged without penalties, and you're just kind of sitting there – I was at a loss. I mean, I, I think I didn't scream out loud. I was with a small group of people, but it's like this stuff has not been called the entire playoffs, and you're supposed to have consistency of letting them play in the playoffs. Well, I've always heard why there's fewer penalties. We're going to let them play in the playoffs and let, let the players decide, and they went a complete 180 on that yesterday in the first half, and um, – I don't know what for sure could possibly be done about that in, in the future, but the NFL needs to review that whole game, especially the first half, set down the officials and say, look, okay, if, if this is the way you're going to call it in the Super Bowl, we need to call this the, the whole way in the playoffs so teams aren't getting in here used to the physical play in their two or three playoff games, and then all of a sudden – the touch every little touch foul is called. I mean, it, it, it drives me crazy. It does me in basketball when there's six total fouls in the first half. And then the second half there's, there's eight within two minutes. Um, that kind of stuff has always driven me crazy. Um, as did the one that Tyron Matthew, he, he gets an unsportsmanlike when Brady should have had one. I mean, it was, it just got ridiculous in the first half and midway through the third quarter, the Chiefs still had more penalty yards than Mahomes passing yards. That pretty much is when you knew that that, that, that game was done. Yeah, that that unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. I mean, come on, let's let's be real. I mean, I'm not saying that Brady deserved one, but if you're going to throw one on on the Chiefs for that, come on. I mean, I guess uh, Brady apologized to Tyron Matthew after the game for something that he allegedly said. I don't know. I mean, they're 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 both competitors and all that. And I get it, but look. It, I made this point on Twitter that if you're Tom Brady, I'm talking smack all day to the other team. What's what, what, what are the referees going to do? Flag Tom Brady for unsportsmanlike conduct? Yeah, it, uh, yeah. It was just it was extremely it was just an extremely frustrating game. I mean, it, our our place was so quiet throughout that second half. Yep. It was just it was just unbelievable. I guess you you look at news this morning the Chiefs are already the favorites for uh, winning the Super Bowl next year they've got the Bucks at 11 to 1 which you know surprised me a little bit but I mean there's a lot of uh, uh, free agent decisions I know some with the Chiefs so um, a lot of business decisions to be made we know they'll be good um, I guess since it was 50 years since they'd won and they won last year been in three straight AFC championships uh, we should still be holding our heads high. It's just, it, it's just a little disappointing because some these, as we've seen with other teams that we thought, Hey, this team is going to be dominant for eight or 10 years. And then they never get back there. Um, I think we should, we should drink this in while we can. Cause there, there's no guarantees. It looks 
extremely promising with Mahomes, um, but you don't want to take anything for granted. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know how you know how many times we thought that the Seahawks would be there every year, or when Aaron Rodgers was young that the Packers would be there every year. Uh, not everyone's Tom Brady, and not everyone gets those kind of you know extended looks in the playoffs and a lot of breaks along the way. And it's just I, I don't know. It's just uh, yeah, I don't want to take it for granted. I mean, I'm disappointed the Chiefs lost, but you know we, we've been to two straight Super Bowls, and I can't really be overly disappointed with that. And hashtag C Dan Marino about how many Super Bowls he was going to go back to after going to one in his second season. He never made it back. So that's something to something to keep in mind. But the, I think the Chiefs will be just fine moving forward. Um, a team I'm not so sure that's going to be just so fine moving forward, Brad, is our Kansas Jayhawks right now. Uh, Twelve and seven. They're now six and five. I believe they're in sixth place in the Big 12, and I saw this come out. They are unranked this week for the first time in 12 years coming off of a win at home over a K-State team that is really struggling, 74-51, and then um, just got outplayed, outshot at West Virginia, 91-79. to Now they come into a three-game week. They play Oklahoma State tonight. Um at home, then Iowa State on Thursday. And here's where I'm not sure. I've seen two different opponents for Saturday. I've seen that they're going to go right back and play Iowa State again. I've also seen Kansas State in that Saturday slot. So I'm not sure where the discrepancy is, but um, it's a busy, tough week for the Jayhawks. And boy, you're just, you're seeing steps taken backwards and not forward. And that is just unlike a Bill Self team. Yeah, according to the schedule at KUathletics.com, it is a back-to-back series with Iowa State on okay. the 11th and the 13th, and then they play K-State on the 16th. But, yeah, uh, I tell you what, the, the Jayhawks don't watch out. They could be firmly placed on the bubble. You mm. know, they've got uh, an Oklahoma State team on Monday that they've already lost to, and then they got a rapidly improving Iowa State team that's, even though they're, they're winless in the Big 12, I'm not sure any team has gotten better in these last few weeks in Iowa State, I, I, tell you what, you know, if the, if the Jayhawks don't watch it, that, that bubble could be getting pretty, you know, close to them because after they get K-State, then you got Tech, Texas, and Baylor, three games to wrap up the season. So this is – I'm going to look at this as an opportunity. You know, if they can win four in a row here, maybe beat Texas Tech and Lawrence, maybe go down to Austin. I don't think Texas is playing as well. You could go into that Baylor game with a six-game winning streak and then maybe, you know, get a chance to, to play an undefeated Baylor team. So this is an opportunity for the Jacks, and it can go either way right now. Now, I will say that I was a little, at times, encouraged with Saturday. They were down big at halftime with West Virginia, then got that game tied up pretty quickly. But, but then at the end of the day, they, they still lost by double digits. So it has not been a team that's gotten better. Jalen Wilson's confidence is shot right now. Christian Brown's confidence doesn't seem to be very high. If these guys aren't making their threes, the Jayhawks, frankly, don't have much of a chance. And if for some reason, they let's say the next six, they go three and three, uh, or even four and two going into that Baylor game. You know, then you're looking at a an overall record of 15 and 10, 16 and nine. Um, and that's when, like you said, you start finishing in the middle of the pack of these major conferences then it 
boy, then you're at the mercy of the selection committee. I know they have a strong schedule, but then, then it comes in this big push and, and I'm one that's for it for the mid majors that have these great regular seasons that get bumped out by middle dwellers of the, the ACCs and the big tens and the big twelves. I I'm a big proponent for those, um, big mid-majors that go great in the regular season and maybe get upset in their, their tournament championship and then don't get in. Um, boy, like you said, they could be very precariously placed on that bubble. If, you know, if they come up shy of maybe 20 wins, they, they could be in trouble of actually missing the tournament. And that that's hard to believe. Yeah. Especially the, with the way that they played in December in November and December. I mean, we were talking about a team that, you know, maybe it was good enough to make a deep postseason run. And I still think that they are. I still think that this is a team that's good enough. But they've got to defend better, and they've got to be able to make open shots. It just seems like open threes are just – I don't know. It, it, it's just the lack of consistency right now. It, it's its startling. I mean, uh, there, was, there is one big positive right now, and David McCormick, he's actually playing very well, I think, right now. And they, they need him to. And, and you would have said if, if, at this time of middle of the season, getting maybe later – in the middle of the season, that David McCormick has really improved his game with the guard play that they had earlier in the year. You'd think, wow, you know, they may be challenging Baylor for the top spot. But like you said, everybody else around them seems to be um, digressing and losing their confidence, especially the shooters. And, wow, I think, I think we'll know a whole lot after this week, maybe where the Jayhawk team is heading. Again, they're going to play. Oklahoma State on Monday, Iowa State Thursday, those are home games, and then at Iowa State Saturday, all those games heard on 94-7 KSKU. Well, Brad, let's get to some a little bit cheerier uh, play. Let's go to the Sterling College Warrior women who are now the – I think the new rankings are going to come out on Tuesday of this week. They were 14 in the previous ranking. They're now 22-0, 18-0 outright conference champions even though they did not play Saturday with the win Wednesday they they sewed up at least a share but Bethel ended up losing to Sterling's next opponent McPherson on Saturday so that gives them the regular season championship they're up five with all tiebreakers with four games to play on uh, right now currently Bethel in second place Um, and boy that Bethel game was something on Last Monday, Brad, it was a 70 to 68, uh, just grinded out win at Bethel, a game in which Bethel, I mean, they beat up the Lady Warriors on the boards. Um, even though the Lady Warriors, they held their two best scores, you know, the 6'3 center, Abby Schmidt, she had seven points, but 19 rebounds. And then Kendall Mikulski, their big three point specialist, they held her to seven points. She had two early threes and then had one free throw after that. The trouble was Alex Bareff, who's about a 23% three-point shooter, went six for eight from the three-point line, kind of became that big X factor. She had 25, um, but their defense held Bethel to about 36% shooting. They were able to get the pace going at times to get the score up a little bit and then just held on for dear life in the last about 30 seconds. They actually missed three free throws in a row at that final score to put that to a two possession game. Actually, Bethel got two more possessions. Their final one, they missed a three at the buzzer and uh, the Lady Warriors held on and then routed Avila at home 91 50 on 
on Wednesday to wrap up that share of the title. But I think that Bethel game did them a world of good because they hadn't faced a lot of adversity in a game. They had foul issues. Um, like I said, getting beat up on the boards. They were down nine in the third quarter. Um, got a beautiful layup on an inbound play at the buzzer at the third quarter to get back within two, which was huge. But I think that's going to do them a world of good moving forward. Yeah, you can't you can't put a, a price tag on some of these close games that they played lately. And and frankly, I think you kind of knew that these games had a potential to be pretty close against uh, Bethany, who they actually uh, beat pretty handily, and then Bethel, of course. So it, it was good to see them how they responded in a tough game, and and they're just cruising right along right now. You know, no hiccups whatsoever. And you know, you look at their schedule; just four regular season games left before they get into the postseason. So. I tell you what, uh, you know, we were we've talked before about how running the table was definitely something that was possible, and now it's definitely looking like it is possible. I mean, you, you can't put the cart in front of the horse, but boy, I tell you what, they've got a real chance right now to go to nationals looking good, you know, looking perfect, or even I, I tell you, even if they go to nationals with one loss, that's definitely something to be proud of. Yeah, the the other big test Wednesday, McPherson's Brittany Roberts right now. She's a double-double machine. She averages 22 points and 16 rebounds. Um, she always gives them fits. Um, they beat them by 10. Uh, I think that was the first game out of the semester, <clears throat> excuse me, um, in January. Um, that'll be a tough one on Wednesday. Um, they are, they're at Southwestern Saturday, and a week from Wednesday at Ottawa could be a little tricky. Friends for Senior Day. And then, of course, the the tournament, which has officially expanded to 12 teams, it's going to be like the old Big 12. The top four will get buys. Five, five through 12 will play each other and then on down the line to, to go to Hartman Arena. But, yeah, I think, I think the goal now is run the table, see if you can put up two banners, a regular season and a conference championship, and try to sew up a number one seed with the pod system there that's going to be in Wichita and around the country there's two three-team pods, and if you get one of those number one seeds, you get a bye and play the winner of the two-three game who will have to play back-to-back games on Friday and Saturday. So um, I think the goal now is certainly to try to get one of those number one seeds and see if you can only have to play one game to get into the Sweet 16 and go back to Sioux City. Yep, that's really what you're trying to play for is get as, as good of a seat as possible, you know, say as close to home as possible and, you know, the way things are looking right now. And, and that's something else that we have to be really impressed with is that they have not slipped up. I mean, no bad games. And, Frank, and you know, as you said, it was more of a case that Bethel played really well than anything else. And it's just very, very impressive how just how mature and how focused this, this Sterling College women's team is, Scott. I mean, there just doesn't seem to be any just – it's just incredible. It really is to see this kind of level of consistency throughout the season without so much as a loss. And I know that it's not all always about wins and losses, but the fact that they haven't lost yet to me is just remarkable. And just it, it, the, the consistency is, is just spectacular. Yeah. They're, they're starting to put out the, the, the type of the strength of schedule and the RPIs and that stuff um, in the NAI this year. And I think I heard that just came out. Their strength of schedule is like in the mid-70s, which, which I expected that. But I was told their RPI is number four in the country. And that really surprised me. But that I think they're getting some respect for what they have done to this point. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a fun ride. I'm gra- glad I'm going to be there 
on the flip side of the equation, uh, one step forward, I think one step back here this last week for the Warrior men a little bit. They went 0-3 this last week. The Monday game at Bethel, 78-74, was a little deceiving. They were actually down, Brad, 28 in the second half of that game. Bethel took the foot off the gas, and then they couldn't hit shots. And all of a sudden, Sterling started getting some threes to go in, and they made that thing interesting, got back within four, just kind of ran out of time. And then the crusher, Brad, it was it was that game on Thursday at 97-94 OT loss um, versus Avila. You know, Alyssa Freeman was there for those Avila games with me on Thursday, and we, we were in disbelief. The Warriors, Ken and Comley, he hit a, a tough two-point basket with about a second to go in the game that put the Warriors up one. The clock actually ran clear down to point three. I think the bench thought the game was over, and they kind of mobbed Cannon a little ways out on the floor. And the official that was there, he was trying to go over to the scores table because we knew there was going to be a little bit of time left for Avila. He tees up the Sterling bench and gives it, puts a second on the clock, gives Avila one free throw, which they make to tie the game. And, of course, they don't go – they try to throw a full-court pass. It gets batted away. We go to overtime, and the Warriors end up losing by three. But, listen, I sat there in disbelief that it didn't seem to really be even a warning given to the bench. You know, I, I just felt like the official – again, letter of the law, was that a, an offense you can give a technical to? I believe so. But in that situation, the kids are just excited. They think they've won the game. Give them, say, hey, coach, get your kids back to the bench. I'm, I'm only going to tell you once. We've got to put some time back on the clock. The game's not over. I just, if that was done, it was done very quickly. And then the technical was given. And uh, it was, that was maybe as brutal a loss as they've had this season. It, it was tough to watch them lose that way. Yeah, Alyssa, who I have in one of my other classes, was telling me about it on Friday. And... You know, having not be there, I got a question for you, Scott. After they made the shot to go up, before you know the team, before you know when the players started storming the court to celebrate, did did Avila try inbounding the ball at all? No, they did not. They called it. They called not, the timeout. Then there should. Oh, and they called. Then that is. I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. There should not have been a technical foul called if they try to inbound the ball. You know, they, they, they try to throw it the length of the quarter, try to throw it in mid-quarter, just trying to get in. Okay, completely fair game, then, I think, to call the technical foul without so much as a warning. The fact that the game was stopped, the fact that there was a timeout called, and the fact that the referee seemed to – I'm sorry, I'm getting fired up here. <laughs> and the fact and the fact that the referee seemed to indicate that, okay, we need to go to the monitor anyway to, to or to talk about time, th- there is absolutely no excuse to call a technical foul there. That is taking the game out of the hands of the players. What they should have done is, like you said, hey, get your butts back on the bench. We have time left on the clock. They've called timeout. Get back there now. Next time you guys do this, it's a technical. There is. It kind of reminds me a little bit, Scott, of how the Blue Dragons here in Hutchinson won the 1988 National Championship. Have you heard about that? I, I don't believe so. Well, they're playing a team from Illinois, and Hutch is up by one in the final seconds. Now, keep in mind, Hutch has never won a national championship in 88. And the team from Illinois shoots the ball, hits the, hits the rim, and bounces over the backboard with one second left. The fans 
obviously playing in the sports arena. That's the hometown crowd. Excited thinking they've won the national championship through toilet paper in celebration onto the court. The Illinois coach is demanding a technical foul. They're saying their fans are throwing stuff onto the court. Well, the NJCAA uh, executive directors there, I can't remember who it was, simply shrugged his shoulders and said, it's a neutral court, guys, uh, which officially which officially it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, so if you're going to tell me, and I know the stakes were a little bit higher for a national championship game as compared to a KCAC regular season game, but if you're going to tell me that they can, you know, come up with a, a level-headed solution for a national championship game, that they can't come up with one for a KCAC regular season game, I'm sorry, Scott, that's taking the game out of the players' hands. Now, don't quote me on Avila calling the timeout, but if it wasn't an Avila timeout, there was an official timeout because they, they had stopped play. The clock showed .3, and I knew there would be a little bit more on there because I kind of looked up when the shot went in, and, and, you know, they can't get the clock stopped, you know, immediately, but I thought it went in with about 1.3. Um, and they ended up putting one on instead of the point three, which I think was was a, probably a good job on their part. But if they had called timeout or Avila, I'm I'm with you. Just you know, get the team back to the bench, calm them down, let them know, hey, the game is not over. There's going to be time, and and they didn't do that. And I mean, I know it's it, it's sour grapes. Obviously, I'm there for Sterling, but I I, I just did not because I thought, boy, that disheartened them. And they didn't win it in overtime, and it was—I don't know if that carried over to Saturday's game, the ninety-three seventy-one loss to a really good athletic um, three-point shooting Oklahoma Wesleyan team. But uh, again, I, I'm with you. It was—I can't say the official was a hundred percent in the wrong due to the letter of the law, but you've got to use, I think, more. Um, common and game sense there and realize these kids are they're just excited they're being college kids yeah and we see it all the time though in college basketball someone hits a late shot and the players halfway storm the court but there's still time on the clock i mean just in 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 soccer i'm a soccer referee there are laws of the game and we always say that the extra unwritten law is the law of common sense hmm there you got to use common sense and just realize, again, if, if Avila's inbounding the ball when those guys are storming the court and there's clearly time, even if there's only .3 seconds on the clock, I completely support a technical foul there. But the game had been stopped for, like you said, one way or the other, the game had already been stopped. There's no sense in calling a technical foul. So the we'll see how they can rebound again with 12 teams getting a tournament. They are currently 12th, but they should – be in the postseason tournament, and they have the same schedule as the women. They'll play um, currently a third-place McPherson team at home on Wednesday and play a really good Southwestern team on Saturday. We'll see um, if they can rebound and kind of get the the arrow pointed back in the right direction for the, the stretch run. Again, those games you can hear uh, this week on 95.9. Again, on Wednesday and Saturday. Saturday's the earlier 3 and 5 o'clock tips. Uh, down in Winfield. Uh, let's go and talk some high school basketball, Brad. I, I've kind of pulled out a couple of games from each of our Tuesday and Friday schedules this week. Uh, looking at Tuesday's schedule, I'll have Lions at Smoky Valley on 94.7, Great Bend at Bueller on 95.9, Garden playing Kingman on 100.3, and Hillsboro at Haven on Kicks 106. Well, let's talk about 
Lions and Smoky Valley a little bit, but before we talk about that, Brad, we got to go back to uh, a magical night in Lions last Friday as, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lions boys, and I still, I watched it, I still don't know how they pulled it off, Brad, shorthanded against number one undefeated Heston. We were talking like Heston and Little River. How do you beat this team? Athletic, big, they can run, they're good defenders, they're good shooters. Lions comes into the game minus Dawson Stover still. Cade Crawford rolls his ankle in practice on Thursday within the first 20 minutes. So they have they are basically six deep at this point, Brad. And that's with a kid that plays probably at least three-fourths of his minutes in JV being the sixth man in this game. And within the first four minutes of the game, the only size that Lions has is Israel Rios. He's got three fouls. And Lions has started off man-to-man, so they, they have to bring in their JV kid. They don't have anybody over six foot on the floor. And you know these guards for um, Heston are 6'3 and 6'4". So they go zone. They keep it low scoring. Um, Heston's not hitting three-point shots in the game. They get an, a five-point lead at halftime. Um, they're still up. I believe it was four at the end of three. And it, it looks like Heston's going to make the run. They're able to manage. Lions is to get through these foul issues. Billy Harley gets in foul trouble. Um, he gets his fourth, as does Rios, um, in the fourth quarter. And then they're, they're really scrambling, trying to alternate those two. Lions somehow able to get it into overtime. Each team scores four points uh, in the first overtime. They get into double overtime. Billy Harley fouls out early, so now you're you're out there with Rios. You got five guys, and I asked Coach Freese. I said, "Who is going to be your sub if Rios fouls out?" And he says, "I have no idea," because then you were strictly <laughs> with JV kids. Is all you had left. If Rios would have fouled out, Kaysen Richardson makes an and one to put Heston up after trailing by two, up one with about 39 seconds left. And I'm thinking Lions can't really hold it the whole time. Well, of course, as McClure does, he gets it out of bound midcourt. And you can see that they're going to sell out and double McClure. He gets out of it once. They back out of it. He starts to try to use that high screen. They double him again. He wheels around on the left wing, gets around the double team, into the lane. He kicks it to Rios, who had not scored in the game. <clears throat> he banks in a little and one opportunity with about 13 seconds left. He misses it, but then little six-foot Kasten Cox tips it out to Alamos, who makes two to make it a three-point game. Heston goes down, misses a desperation three. Alamos with the rebound makes two more. And then the celebration was on. And I, I just – I still don't know how they did it. Shorthanded, foul trouble, and it was just um, – the anatomy of the upset was there, and it was just – it was pretty to watch, and, and, and it was so fun to be there. I don't think this game's being talked about enough, to be honest with you, Scott. I mean, of all the teams ranked number one in Kansas, the one that I thought maybe had the best chance of going undefeated, maybe other than Little River, was Heston. I mean, I've seen Heston this year several times, and they're just so – they're, they're incredible to watch. I mean, they're so much fun. And the fact that Lions is good, we already knew that. But the fact that the Lions went there and won shorthanded, I just don't think it's being talked about enough. I mean, all kinds of credit to Lions. They, they deserve it. And I tell you what, they, they've put the rest of that substate on notice. Oh, absolutely. 
And Lions was so fortunate to get away from Larnard on Tuesday last week with the win. They, they were down five dead in the water after leading by 14 and a half. They were down five with about a minute 37 left. Uh, ended up getting a short jumper from Rios, back-to-back steals from Crawford and McClure for layups. Missed three straight one-and-ones down the stretch, but held on in that game and then pull this upset. So, so you're looking forward with this team now. They're still tied with Haven behind Heston in that sub-state. Um, now a game, again, they'll be shorthanded against Smoky Valley and then Haven at home on Friday. Um, boy, it's, it's a big week to come down off of that emotion and see if they can still play with that effort and intensity in a road game against Smoky Valley on, on Tuesday. And on the flip side, Heston, their closest game, I believe, had been 17 or 18 points. So they were a little bit of the deer in the headlight. They hadn't been in a close game. This may do them a world of good as well. Yeah, yeah. We talked about, you know, the Sterling College women being undefeated. And, you know, I, I'm not sure if I believe that a loss is ever a good thing. But I will say this much. A loss can be a good learning experience. And it just kind of depends on what you take from it. And I have no doubt that Greg Raleigh and the, and the Hessen Swathers are going to learn plenty from that. They're going to refocus themselves. I still say that the, the blueprint is now out there, and it's going to be a tough substate with Lions and Haven there as well. So we'll see what happens, but I definitely think that, that is, that's, that's a win that, unfortunately, for whatever reason, isn't really being discussed enough. Yeah, I, I think it should be, and I'll, I'll be curious to see if, if it gets the attention, if they slip into the maybe to number 10 in the rankings or something like that. Um, when those come out, we'll just have to wait and see. Your game on Tuesday, very intriguing, especially the boys' game. Hillsborough at Haven. Both Hillsborough teams are, gosh, I want to say they may be number two, and both of them in 2A, or top, right in their top two or three. Uh, the Haven boys are are fantastic. Even the girls' game there, if, if, if Haven can um, keep it low scoring, I think, that has potential, especially the boys game, to be a really fun night for you on Tuesday. Yeah, it's uh, boy, I, I was just looking at the, the the Haven girls schedule. They started out the season five and three, and look at the schedule they've played since then, Scott. These they're currently on a six game losing streak. They have lost in those six games to Halstead, Cheney, Nickerson twice, Mount Ridge, and Hoisington. Oof. <laughs> and now you get Hillsborough. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, another great test, but I tell you what, uh, th- this is going to do nothing but help Haven. Uh, the schedule lightens up a little bit here down the stretch. They still got a pretty good chance at going about 500 this year, which would be a great deal. And uh, I would never count out a Dwight Roper team in the postseason, but yeah, what what a great boys game! You've seen Hillsboro this year. We both seen Haven. Uh, that's got a potential to be a really fun game. And then the the Friday schedule: uh, Haven at Lions is 94-7. Circle Bueller. 95.9, Sterling at Trinity Catholic on 100.3, Little River at Elyria Christian on Kicks Country, and the stream game Pretty Prairie at Fairfield. Um, Haven Lions, that's going to be huge for sub-state seeding purposes. We'll see how Lions does Tuesday against Smoky Valley. And then, boy, it's a really intriguing Heart of America game um, with Sterling at Trinity. You've got two of the best players in the state, Lucas Hammock, of course, for, uh, uh, for Trinity. And then uh, Wilson for for Sterling, that that has potential to be a fantastic ball game. So some pretty good games coming up once again. 
Uh, I'm here. I've never been to Illyria Christian before, so I'll be curious what kind of setup they have over there. But yeah, there's a there's a good slew of games out there, and, and um, I tell you what, getting to see Little River boys again. We'll see. You know, Illyria's had some good teams through the years. They've they've been to state recently. They got some good coaching up there, so I'll, I'll be curious to see what kind of uh, what they throw at them. I have been to Illyria once. It's a unique experience. It's a it's a smaller gym, but they support their teams really well, and uh, you'll get to see those. Uh, Little River boys and the Little River girls, they were the, the champions out at the, the Fairfield girls tournament this year. So they're playing some good basketball. So you'll get to see a couple of good Little River teams. Yeah, I haven't seen Little River since early in the season. 11-3 and three right now. So I saw that record and I was like, wow. But again, when you see who they've lost to, they lost to Mound Ridge. They lost to Sacred Heart. And then they lost to the aforementioned Illyria Christians. So, and that was a weird game, Scott. 25-22. to 22. Wow, uh, very low, very <laughs> low scoring. Yeah, so we'll see what uh, Illyria has uh, girls, but they have not lost since a pre-Christmas uh, setback to Berean Academy, and their only other loss is to Mound Ridge. So, so the Illyria girls are playing some good basketball right now too. Uh, that, that's potential to be a, a really good doubleheader on Kicks Country on Friday night. Again, that Tyus Wilson-Lucas Hammocky matchup, Sterling and Trinity – uh, that should be fantastic as well. Um, we, we look at uh, Wichita State here briefly, Brad. They had a, a good week, a couple of, couple of maybe closer games than you thought against Tulane and Temple. They managed to win both of those, which you need to at home. Um, 75-67 over Tulane, 70-67 over Temple. And they're still right there in second place, 7-2 and two in the American uh, 11 and four overall they go to central florida on wednesday who's um, five and nine and three and eight and then a big road test sunday at smu's 10 and four six and four but again the boy if you were talking more promising bets to to be less of a bubble team right now than ku and wichita state brad i might have to take wichita state yeah, I would, I would agree, Scott. If it comes down to those two teams at this moment, you probably have to give a slight edge to Wichita State, and, and deservedly so. You know, they got the uh, a tough game coming with the Central Florida, a team that they beat in overtime earlier this year. Then, of course, SMU, and then they got Memphis and Houston still to come. A lot of opportunities, though, for them to get some more quality wins, and this is this is more looking more and more like a tournament team. And, I mean, I, I really think like when the season ends, especially if they have a – finish good and they have a you know a good tournament you know get to the semis or at least i i think this is a team that will make um the big dance this year and as always those games this week you can hear on 100.3 knzs again both wednesday and sunday on the road at ucf and then at smu well a topic we talked a little bit about last week um major league baseball at the point when we recorded last week was had sent a proposal to the players association or the, the union to delay the start of the season, keep all of the experimental rules that they used last year in place, the universal DH, uh, the extra inning games, having the guy on second base and all of those rules. Uh, that plan was rejected by the union. So as of right now, the season is being planned to be started on time. And from what I understand, the old playoff format would apply this season with a full 162 games. Um, 
I have seen already other articles that say don't exactly plan on that. They still could expand the playoffs as soon as this fall in MLB. But at least as of right now, it looks like when April starts, we'll have Major League Baseball. Yeah, that's great. I just hope that, you know, I I honestly have not seen a Royals baseball game on TV since uh, 2019 because, and that was in August when Dish Network and Fox Sports had their contract dispute, and then last year they still had that contract dispute. Haven't heard if they if they solved about solved it, but I do get Hulu now, so we'll see if that has uh, enables me to watch baseball. But I'm looking forward to it. You know, I, I I'm not sure if I'm in favor of expanding the playoffs. I, I think they got a great format as as is, and you know if they do, of course you just hope it's temporary. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm a big baseball guy. I love, I love baseball. I sit down and watch a game. I just hope that maybe they don't have as many three-and-a-half-hour games this year. Yeah, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, some of the rules we'd like to see, you know, speed up the game, the the, the, the pitch clock, the once you're in the batter's box, you're in there till a pitch is thrown, those t- type of things, which may eventually come in. I, I think, one, I would like to see him do and just get it over with. For gosh sakes, let's just have a DH in the national league and be done with, um, with the, with the pitchers batting, unless, unless you really choose to want to have your pitcher bat. Um, let, let's, let's just get it over with and have a DH. Hey, here's, here's why I say, Scott, if the national league is so hell bent on using the pitcher to bat, and if it's such a better way of playing baseball, then how about when we do interleague play and play the world series, the American league can use the DH and the national league can use their pitcher. And that would fix their wagon pretty quick. I bet you. <laughs> Uh, that would be great, although we'll see how uh, committed they were to um, that rule. And I don't know. Part of me thinks that eventually it's going to go that way. But, you know, about that, that is some hardcore as far as the old school and what they do in MLB. Getting things changed sometimes takes a long, long time. Well, that was my regular agenda for this week, Brad, unless you had something else you wanted to. To, to bring in before we get to our final thoughts. Well, I just mainly wanted to, for my final thoughts, Scott, and I just mainly wanted to bring up that it was good to see uh, junior college athletics back, you know, Hutchinson community college athletics is, hasn't had much to speak of since the pandemic hit. They had a, a good cross country season in the fall. That was, and the golf team also got a chance to play, but that was it. No volleyball, no soccer, no football. And now that we've seen basketball come back and we're seeing volleyball play right now, and I know that the softball team and baseball teams got started this week. They're going to take the week off for obvious reasons right now, because I think if they played in this uh, cold weather, the bats would break. But it, it's just really good to see the return of junior college sports. I've been around junior college sports since 2000. And, you know, a lot of my students here at Hutch are, are athletes. And I know that they've been waiting with bated breath to get their seasons started. And they have. And I just hope that we can. Boy, I, you know, we've done such a good job getting through high school here in Kansas now. I just hope we can give these JUCO kids the same opportunity. Definitely. It's good to see all of the universities having gyms a-buzzing and fields a-buzzing. And um, I think the Warriors are actually supposed to play a a four-game set at home Friday and Saturday, which (laughs) I believe that's soon to be canceled. I think the highs are supposed to be like 11 and 13 on those two days. So, unfortunately, that's kind of your pick your poison when you have to get a spring season if you're trying to play 40 games, you have to try to play some in February, and sometimes you kind of, kind of run into that. But yeah, I'm, I'm, it, it's fantastic that uh, the JUCOs are going now, and hopefully, uh, boy, March is going to be busy. We're going to be seeing the gridiron 
in March as well with Chuco football, KCAC football return. This is going to be a, a fun spring. Well, well, my final thoughts, Brad, um, kind of back on a little bit of a sadder note, but for a different reason for uh, maybe longtime Chief fans, I, I saw at the end of last week that uh, former head coach Marty Schottenheimer um, has been put in hospice care due to complications from uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, my wife and I, we, we were able to watch his final public interview he gave about probably, now it's probably been about three years ago in, at their home, him and his wife's home. I believe they live in North Carolina now. Um, it was heart-wrenching, Brad. Watching this man who had led the chief so well rely on his wife for so much information in this interview. There was just questions and things. He just He did not remember the Monday night game with Montana for the Chiefs and Elway for the Broncos. It was such a historic game. He, he didn't remember it. And you could just see the this once great man. I know he's criticized for being too conservative and the playoff losses and all that, but um, I think he was a great leader of men. He was a great coach. And I'm a little emotional, Brad. It's heartbreaking. You know, I grew up a Chiefs fan, a, a diehard Chiefs fan, and I just remember going to the Chiefs when they sucked in the 80s, and I, I, I was still kind of young to really know any better, but I remember going to the playoffs in 86, and even my parents were like, yeah, we're, we're not going to win this game, Brad. So I was like, oh, but we're in the playoffs, you know? When Marty came and completely changed Car, – Carl Peterson obviously deserves yeah. a lot of credit, too. But what Marty Schottenheimer did and – essentially taking a sad sack organization that had two playoff appearances and zero wins since their Super Bowl four victory. And he turned Arrowhead help or Marty helped turn Arrowhead into the closest thing you can come to a college atmosphere. It was rambunctious. It, there was no tougher place to play in the nineties than Arrowhead stadium. I was at my share of games where that you could feel this. I, we sat upstairs a lot. You could feel the stadium shaking yeah. up there. I was at the playoff win against the Raiders and the Steelers. I saw Montana Magic. I mean, some of the greatest memories of my childhood and my teenage years were going to games at Arrowhead when Marty Schottenheimer was there because you literally felt like, as a member of that crowd and 78,000 screaming fans, that when, when the Chiefs were on defense, you actually felt you were a part of that defense, helping them get false start penalties, throwing the, the offense off. I remember John Elway in the end zone one time complaining about the crowd noise. And, of course, they threatened the penalty on the Chiefs and a timeout if they don't quiet down. So, of course, was the crowd due that gets yeah. even louder then. And it was just a magical time. Yes, we didn't win a Super Bowl. Yes, we didn't go to a Super Bowl. No, I'm not going to trade these last two years for anything that happened in the 90s. But I tell you what, Scott, it was a beautiful and glorious time to be a Chiefs fan in the 90s. It was. I was in school at Emporia State and got to get to uh, hand, maybe just under a handful of games during that time. I, I remember a, a Monday night game. I believe that was against the Bills when they were making their four Super Bowl in a row runs. And that was Derek Thomas and that defense just destroyed the bills in that game i saw him win in overtime against the chargers i saw a monday nighter against i believe it was the raiders and they stomped the raiders i mean it was um you know like i said he was criticized for never winning that big game but by golly 
it was just taken for granted. The Chiefs were going to be in the playoffs when Marty Schottenheimer was their coach, and they were always a threat with uh, the defense they had. And, again, it was just – it was so sad when I saw that news uh, this week uh, about Marty Schottenheimer. But, but yeah, I will, I will never forget that time either. Yeah, and I was, I was at the Montana game in 94 uh, uh, when Derek Thomas stole the show. I mean, that, that was – of all the – players that I loved I mean Derek Thomas my goodness that guy was so good he took heat for things that oh he's a one-dimensional player I mean are you saying a running back isn't a one-dimensional <laughs> player are you saying are you saying a receiver isn't a, I've never seen anybody get to the quarterback and when he stacks Steve Young for a safety when during the Montana game I mean can you imagine 49ers Chiefs Montana and Derek Thomas steals the show the defense steals the show that really tells you what you need to know about those Marty teams that even with all the hype with the Montana game against the 49ers, it was still the defense that stole yeah, the show. It was, it was a special time. Not like I'm like you, I wouldn't trade the, uh, the Super Bowls these last two years. And I think I started off with the wrong number on the Super Bowl. I think I called it 54. This was actually 55 this year. Um, I'm still thinking back to the win last year, I guess. But yeah, that that kind of set the table for um, the Chiefs since you know way back when Lynn Dawson that they they were back as a franchise and as a contender all of those Marty years. So uh, that's, that's where we're at for, for Marty Schottenheimer and now with the Chiefs where we are today. So that was the, all of our agenda for this week. Again, if you want to see the, the full schedule for Ad Astra, you can go to adastraradio.com and the sports page. This entire week's schedule is up and going. So it's been a been a fun week. Uh, boy, it's a great week if the weather's decent to travel. Great time to be indoors, so get out to a game if you can this week. If not, uh, tune in next week. As for this week's View for the Press Box for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. Have a great week.